You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Onyx Maps. Now, Onyx is a digital mapping app that you download directly to your phone, mobile device, and you can even use it on your desktop. But what is great about it, the functionality here, is that you can drop waypoints and you can mark tree stand locations. You can mark trail camera locations, scrapes, rubs, bedding areas. You can document all that. So it's like a living journal of your properties that you hunt. Now, what's great about this, it can be used on a small scale, let's say like a 40 acre farm, or like we did on our mule deer hunt out west, this 33,000 acre uh, big chunk of public ground. It can allow you to document everything that you've seen on there as well, glassing points where the mule deer were coming in and out, and so much more. If you want to find out more about the functionality of Onyx, visit onyxmaps.com. And for first-time users, you can use the discount code NATION20 for 20% off. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. Man, I tell you what, I've been uh, slacking here throughout the rut. Um, and I think you guys know why I've been grinding here in Iowa trying to connect with uh, a, a good quality whitetail. I did that and uh, this podcast is the recap of my 2019 rutcation. Uh, and joining me today is my good buddy and co-host Bob Polanik. Bob is going to share his rutcation as well. This dude walks into Nebraska and tags out, and non-residents can get two tags in uh, Nebraska. So we have two kill stories from Bob. We have my uh, rutcation recap uh, with uh, my success story as well. So this is a really long podcast. Um, uh, So hopefully you guys enjoy it. I know you will. I know a lot of guys have been wanting to hear the story of... uh, my uh, of my vacation and how it all turned out i know it was slow at first and if you followed along on instagram you got the full story but uh it was slow it was real slow at first and then it started heating up and then out of nowhere a shooter comes through and i sealed the deal on that son of a gun at 32 yards and uh, this podcast this is the story of that now before we get rocking and rolling man i want to talk about ozonics because I feel that Ozonics gave me a ton of opportunities this year, right? And I don't mean at big mature bucks because there is no product out there that can guarantee you big mature bucks. But what I feel Ozonics is really good at is 
when you let a buck pass or you have a deer sneak in downwind. Dude, I don't know how to tell you this without it sounding like some planned scripted commercial, but I had deer really close to me this entire rut vacation and I had one excuse me I had two deer blow at me one was downwind not sure if the wind was swirling I think it was but the other deer that blew at me watched me climb in my tree stand so I got busted one time because of scent and I had deer around me all hunt long all week long and and I think Ozonics played a huge role in that not only in the tree but out of the tree uh, using putting my clothes in the dry wash bag making they were sure they were clean going out to every hunt if you have not tried an Ozonics yet borrow them from a buddy first of all and see if you like it second of all you could just trust me and and go and get one I'm telling you right now they play a huge part in how I hunt. It allows me to be more aggressive. And when you are more aggressive, you can have more opportunities. And when you have more opportunities, that just means more deer in range. And those deer are the targets that you're after. Whether you just want to hunt does or if you are only after big mature bucks, dude, they they can save the day. And um, I don't, I mean, it's one of those things where you just, you just have to try it out to see how they work and I think there's a lot of guys out there who have tried it out and have seen firsthand uh, that it, they can they can directly result in success or indirectly result in success but the key word there is success and uh, the deer downwind are betting you if some, or busting you if something sneaks in you can be more aggressive with your, uh, your stand locations and how you play the wind um, and I think it just in the, in the long term it's a product that I think uh, can directly affect your success. So uh, go to ozonicshunting.com, check out all the products that they offer. And uh, if you want to purchase a unit, use the discount code NFC19. And uh, when you buy uh, an Orion, when you buy the 300, the 230, you're going to get a free dry wash bag. So uh, take care of that. Uh, other than that, I think we're good to go for the podcast today. I'm joined by Bob Polanik for our rut vacation recap. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast brought to you by Vortex Optics. Today, we are we're going to talk about our rut recaps. I'm joined by the infamous, or is it the infamous? I don't know. <laughs> We're joined by Bob Polanik again. What's up, dude? Uh, unfamous. Unfamous. That's it. <laughs> That's how you uh, do it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not too much, man. Just uh, loving that. Uh, just got back from basically three weeks of bow hunting in Nebraska, and it's a Monday, and um, I am happy to be distracted by by recapping a bow season and not actually working. So. Right. Well, technically, you're kind of on your lunch break, though. Yeah, yeah, sure. So we'll go with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, so before we uh, you know get you fired, um, basically what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about my rut vacation. We're going to talk about uh, Bob's rut vacation, and we're going to talk a little bit about the strategy that we use. We're going to talk about what we saw, what we observed. Uh, I know you did a lot of traveling in that three-week period from Michigan to Nebraska, back, and then back again. So we are going to talk a little bit about everything but before we get into this, um, I got I to gotta chit-chat real quick about Onyx. Uh, they are a network partner. And uh, one thing that I want to talk about is if it wasn't for Onyx this year, I probably would still be lost on a property that I have hunted for seven years. Um, <laughs> I went into a couple betting areas this uh, this rut vacation. And if it wasn't for me being able to track my entry and exit routes and drop waypoints of where my stand location was, I would have blown out the entire farm just wandering around, pointing my flashlight in the trees, looking for, uh, you know, looking for my tree stands. And you don't really, you don't really know how important something like that is until you actually need it that bad and I needed it on specifically three tree stand locations where I had to my access routes were some were in some big timber and you know you have all these reference reference points when you're walking like a two track or you're walking a field edge or whatever but when you're in big timber and it's dark everything kind of looks the same so I had to rely a lot on Onyx uh, to, to help me through some of those early morning pitch black dark entry routes and um, being able to track my way out was was really big um are you uh are you a user of onyx i am and um I mean, this is an un, unprompted plug for him but i'll say whitetail season um one of the bucks i killed this year in nebraska i would have never killed him if it wasn't for uh an app like onyx and uh, elk hunting as well i mean wouldn't have near the encounters and success with elk hunting um, without something like Onyx as well. So kind of you know. guide the way and leave breadcrumbs of where you've been and where you've seen the sign and where you've seen the game and stuff like that. Absolutely. Uh, yes. As far as elk hunting, um, doing a lot of e-scouting, stuff like that. Yeah. Trails, looking at what's going to be some easier elevations to hunt, what's going to be some of your harder ridges, planning out where you could potentially do a spike camp and stuff like that. And then, yeah, um, with whitetail hunting, we got permission on a, a 600-acre farm, um, and the entire farm was a cattle farm, and we didn't see a deer track on it. And we got to looking deeper uh, along the property lines with Onyx, and we found this little sliver of about five acres, and that's where I killed my buck. And without that, uh, without Onyx and being able to so easily look at it in real time, yeah. Um, I, I don't think that I would have ended up hunting there, but, and we can get into that story later, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, uh, with that said, if you guys want to find out more information, go to onyxmaps.com. And if you want to sign up, uh, and get the app, uh, whether you want a month or a year or whatever they offer, uh, enter the discount code nation 20 N A T I O N 20. And that's going to save you, uh, I think 20% off your uh, purchase for uh, first time customers. So, uh, it's worth it anyway. 
Uh, so we, we, we did a plug there. Now we got to talk about the meat and potatoes. Um, because you, when did you actually start your quote unquote rut vacation? Cause you, you had to go to Nebraska or you went to Nebraska, then came back and then went out again. Right. That is correct. So I, let me pull up a calendar real quick. October, Friday, October 25th was the day that I first went out to Nebraska and we started hunting on Saturday, the 26th. So, okay. So Saturday, the 26th was your first day out, out there. Um, little pre-rut action, hoping for some pre-rut action. What did you see when you got out there? Uh, my buddy and I, we both hunted um, some of the better stands right out the gate because we needed a, well, we were under the impression we needed a south wind for them. Um, we both ended up seeing over 30 deer. Um, and I mean, for the moment we got in the stand uh, all the way till after dark, I mean, there was just deer everywhere. I had encounters with shooters. My buddy shot a buck. Um, his ended up being a a decent two and a half year old, decent eight point kind of a, um, he, he hit it forward. It was, it was a little bit of a, a, a quick, a quick encounter, quick shot, quick judgment call. Uh, he shot at 24 yards, which was the farthest shot he had. It's really the furthest he could see because all the leaves were still up and it's really thick, um, where he was hunting Yeah, and he hit it forward. He actually hit it in front of the shoulder. Okay. So there's like a dead zone there where there's not many, there's not any vitals. Uh, was he yeah. court, any blood? Uh, there was blood, but he found his arrow. Um, probably two thirds of his arrow was inside the deer and he, he did, we decided to back out, let him lay overnight. It was getting down in the thirties at night and yeah, when in doubt back out that whole thing. So and, that's what uh, we did. So that was, was that the very first night you guys were out there then he shot that yep, deer? Yep. And yep. It was Saturday night and we went, um, the next morning and we found it 60 yards from where he shot it and the coyotes had absolutely devoured it. Oh man, that sucks. That sucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sucks you have to wrap your tag around that, uh, because yep. obviously I, I had to give up my meat last year because I couldn't find it right away and i just felt like shit about it but it it just sucks when you're not the one who takes home the the rack and the hunt is awesome but the meat's part of the equation you know what i mean and this year when i shot my deer and i dropped it off at the uh, processor to get everything made with it i just had this awesome feeling like okay now it's over right now is the time time to rejoice but yeah that sucks man um so right off the bat then he uh uh he he shot and killed how long had you guys planned to be out there before you had to go back we were gonna come back on we we're gonna be out there for like eight or nine days of hunting and we were gonna drive back on monday november 4th monday november 4th okay yeah so you guys uh the 26 he shoots then what happened the rest of the rest of the trip well yeah I ended up feeling kind of bad for him because, yeah, yeah, you, you do all the prep. You have all the excitement. You're going to go hunt for eight, nine, ten days. You blow your wad on the first day, and then, you know, that happens. It just, I mean, highs and lows and all of it mixed together. It was just, uh, 
it was a tough tough moment to come up on that that buck and it was like i said it was just devoured yeah um and then yeah he just had nothing else to do besides kind of hang out and um wait for me to kill one gotcha. so he didn't want to go get another tag because i know you, uh, you mentioned yeah. nebraska has another tag you can get yeah the so the archery tag is is pretty affordable for non-resident it's like 265 bucks the uh they have a statewide tag that you can buy and you can also use that for archery um also rifle and muzzleloader but that's 600 dollars and with our trail camera poles and stuff like that there really wasn't a lot of mature there's only like two or three mature deer around we had a flood the farm didn't get planted like it normally does um i i kind of kept the hope like we were checking cameras and uh i kind of noticed with him you know you only have a couple pictures of shooters and stuff like that and yeah, you kind of just tell that the excitement was kind of taken away from him and i was like don't you know in the moment i'm telling him not i mean this is before we even gone hunting yet i was like do not let that take away from what this week is about to be i was like this farm always the the rut in november is knocking on the door yeah deer are going to show up this is it's just how it goes and i was like you can't put all your you can't put all your eggs in the basket of trail camera photos yeah and and he did and he admitted that that factored into him shooting the buck he did um hindsight being 2020 it's probably good he did i'm not sure he would have gotten another encounter um on that farm you never know but um so the flood kind of influenced how the farm you know, got planted and, and standing crops. I know here in Iowa, standing crops played a huge role in not only where and how I hunted, but my decision-making getting later into the rut of what I was wanting to shoot and, you know, willing to pass and whatnot. Um, was there a lot of standing crops in your area or were you in kind of a strictly river bottom scenario where all the fields didn't get planted? We had, it was about 50, 50. But the way that that farm sets up, so you have the Missouri River that runs north and south, yep. and then we have a timber pocket that parallels it, and then um, the farm, the ag of the property we hunt, that's all to the south of the timber, and that was nothing. That was a that was just a dirt field, nothing in it, and we're talking 500 acres. That's normally corn, or it's it's usually half corn, half beans. Yeah, they you know they rotate. Um, but there was corn on kind of the northern part of the timber, probably about quarter mile north of kind of what we hunt. So it just was going to take time. Normally, you know, August, September, October, all the deer are moving up and down through the timber and they're going from, you know, ag field to ag field and they're using that timber to move up and down. Well, with no food at the southern portion we just weren't you know you're not going to get deer coming down there for food you know yeah obviously there's does there's plenty of does around there's a lot of doe bedding areas still in the timber so you just have to know that bucks are going to come through scent check and all that good stuff but um but yeah without any food in the south part of it we just didn't get any pictures and yeah so obviously you're you were kind of relying on the deer to absorb back into the area during this this rut period right the pre-rut the rut period um did that eventually start to happen as october you know came to a close 
Yeah, uh, honestly, November 1st, there was a big influx. You know, our first, second, and third, there's a big uh, influx of mature buck pictures and stuff like that. We weren't there, you know. Um, so I guess I can kind of speed the week up. We. I, I just so want to ask you this. Going, going, go ahead. Going into uh, this first trip out there, right, you had X amount of days. What was your strategy going into that first trip? Um keep wind and pressure off the core of the timber knowing that that's where the deer were going to be they weren't going to be going you know from the timber into the corn and they were going to be bedding in any corn or anything like that so we just knew that like we had to keep that timber protected probably about probably about 60 acres of it all together there's a big CR, there's probably a hundred acre crp field as well that um is on the northern part of where we can hunt. We we can't hunt it, but you know it's right on the property edge. So we just knew, got to keep wind off that, got to keep pressure off that, keep timber or keep all the scent and pressure off the the core of the timber, and just hunt the perimeters until we see something from some either long range scouting or trail cameras that shows us it's time to move in. Right. So you were just kind of uh, outside looking in at the at that point and using trail camera data and sightings and, you know, potentially wind direction to dictate when you were going to go in and make a move deeper in that timber block. Yep. That is correct. How yep. big, how big was that timber timber block? It's about the timber block that we hunt, probably 20, 40, probably 65 acres. Gotcha. And, uh, did you, stick to that strategy uh until you had to leave or did you have did you go and make a strike in there uh kept to that strategy because okay. for for me so he shoots his buck day one right and now i have the rest of that week to hunt plus i'm coming back for another week so i'm not really in a rush you know what i mean i've got all the time i've got two weeks to fill one archery tag like i've got all the time in the world so i was very methodical about it um and then the the deer sightings just went down right away so um, so november 1st 2nd and 3rd there was a lot of daytime mature buck photos uh, i would say like 29th 30th 31st there was a lot of photos uh middle of the night 4 a.m. midnight that time of, yeah. of mature bucks. So and that um, and you're you're talking about four year olds and older. Uh, three and a half or four and a half. Yeah. Okay. There wasn't there wasn't old bucks around. There wasn't any old bucks around this year. Okay. So you're talking your idea of a shooter was a three year old and older, um, and for the most part they were nocturnal, nocturnal yeah. pictures. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yeah. I had a a lot of that going on in Iowa too. I mean the couple of my hit listers were doing the you know doing the cruise at about and this is all the way up until i mean there was no daylight pictures of any shooters until november like like in well into the first week of november uh, of any of what i would consider shooters everything was in that 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 time frame of you know 10 o'clock p.m to four o'clock a.m and, they, and then after that, 
not even close to daylight. So it's not like I could get nope. real fired up of what was moving on the farm uh, on that. So um, did you have any encounters while you were out there with the, uh, you know, with, with any, any shooters while you were in yeah. the stand? Yep, the first night, first night that we had all the action. Um, and that I had was November first, right? Uh, it was October twenty sixth. That's okay. Saturday. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I had a, I had a, a nice mature buck, probably the biggest buck. I didn't know it at the time. I couldn't tell what it was. I just knew it was a big buck. Um, he was probably fifty yards away, and and some really thick stuff. All this, all this undergrowth timber is all like twenty feet tall, and it's. I mean, it's very thick. You can't walk through it, yeah. most of it. Um, like, it's just that thick. So, um, other than that, no, deer sightings went down to almost nothing. It got windy. It was cold, and just not much was going on. So, I actually, on November 1st, I went back to this 600-acre farm that we got permission on that we had never hunted before. And that's when I took a harder look at it, and I found this, uh, there's this little pocket of the property. So it's all, it's one big cattle pasture, and it's got two or three ag fields on it, but they didn't get planted, I'm assuming, because they were too wet this spring. Um, so there's just, like, no deer. There was, there was, we drove the whole perimeter, and, I mean, there's probably 500 head of cattle in there. Drove the whole perimeter. We didn't see a deer track. We didn't see a rub. We didn't see a scrape. 600 acres. Yeah. I mean, that is just disheartening. Yeah. Um, but we found this one little pocket where there's a deep, there's a deep creek crossing. And we could tell that cattle weren't going up the other side of it. And so it kind of isolated this like probably five to 10 acre pocket. And I was like, let's just go check this out, see if there's anything up here. Um, it butted up to the neighbor's property. So we go up there, we find one giant rub. And I'm like, that's all I need. So I get like, there's definitely a big buck here. That's all I need. Yeah. So grabbed a tree stand, cut a couple quick shooting lanes. I got all the trees were real small, nothing great to put a tree stand in. I think I was 10 or 11 feet off the ground. Right. And I was hunting the property line. I was probably 20 feet in from like the barbed wire fence. And on the, on the other property was standing corn. And, um, I had watched a hunter get in a ground blind on that piece of property. So I was like, all right, someone's definitely hunting here. So they got to, I mean, obviously there's something going on around here. Uh, about 20 minutes before it, um, it got dark out. I just lightly, rattled my antlers together just some things i've seen before from other hunters do um and in, in real life experiences that right before dark just a little tickle can kind of get them going a little bit and sure enough a uh i heard a i heard a deer basically jump that barbed wire fence i could just hear like the hooves land yeah. and i could tell like that's that's definitely a deer that just jumped that barbed wire fence and i looked over and there's a buck at i don't know 10 yards and again i'm only 10 feet up you know, it's not, not real, not, it was a pretty like close encounter. He didn't see me. His eyes were forward. Um, he was looking for those two bucks were fighting. And, uh, when he didn't see that, and of course he came in upwind to me and then the wind was blowing right over his back. 
So he threw he threw all his you know senses to to the wayside. But he did see those deer, and he kind of started veering off a little bit. And he got to 20 yards, and I was able to put a shot on him. Um, it was probably a 20-second encounter, yeah. start to finish. So yeah. that's, uh, that's similar to my encounter for my buck this year as well, real quick. were you Once you saw him, uh, from the time you saw him to the time you decided to sh- shoot him, real short window, uh, did you know that he was a 3-year-old or older? No, no, nope. And nope. What... I just saw, saw his, I saw his rack. So on his, he's an eight point. His G three on one side's kind of gnarly. It's all, it's not really grow into anything. It actually almost like split into like two points. It's got like a, I don't know. It, I, I saw that and I was like, oh, I was like, what, what's going on there? And then I saw his other side, which isn't, it wasn't anything huge. Um, but I saw his spread and I was like, he's got a nice spread on him. And I, you, I just tell his. It looked like a, a nice deer, and it was November 1st. I was feeling bad for my buddy because he's just sitting out there burning time, and I was just, you know, just going to send it, yeah. basically. <laughs> it's basically my my mentality. So, he, uh, he ended up being a – I'm sure he was a three-and-a-half-year-old. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the picture right now, and his body's huge. He's got a, he has, he's got a big body, and his, his uh, head looks big, and it also looks like he's got a, a pretty swollen neck at that point. Yeah, no, uh, after looking more at at his body, uh, we were almost starting to wonder if he was a four-year-old with just some really bad genetics, yeah. but yeah, but yeah. So that was November 1st, and uh, now, you know, you slam this deer. Was it, was he difficult to get out of there because he did have to cross a pretty steep creek? Uh, yeah, well, we ended, we ended up getting permission from the neighboring owner to go on his land. I mean, the deer ran right back on the neighbor's property. So we went and got, uh, permission, uh, from them to go recover the deer and we were able to drag it right down the edge of a a cornfield. And, uh, most of it was downhill, so it wasn't too bad. It was a pretty far drag out. Um, definitely was kind of wishing we had a deer card or something like that at that point. It was probably a half a mile drag. Oh man. Well, mm-hmm. two two of you guys doing it together probably it wasn't too terribly bad, huh? Flat ground. No, uh like I said, well we had to go up a hill and then we basically we went up a hill for about a quarter of the way and then the rest of it was all downhill and pretty wide open. So it wasn't it wasn't too bad, but yeah, we definitely had to stop a couple times. Yeah. So well cool, man. That's awesome that you know your trip now now Knowing you could get another tag in Nebraska, what what was your thought process at this point? Did you guys stick around and get that tag, or did you guys head back because your wife was coming out on the second trip, right? Right, yeah. So we went home. I mean, my buddy was like, I we were staying with a a, a couple out there. We're staying at their house. They're a really nice couple. We've gotten gotten to know them over the uh, past few years of going out there. They opened their home up to us. I mean they they literally just let us come and go as we please during the whole week and stuff like that. Use the shower. We've got bedrooms there, kitchen, you know what I mean? So, um, my buddy was like, dude, I'm, I'm done hanging out with the couple that, from Nebraska that I hardly know. And, um, he just wanted to get back home and, and, and I did too. So we, uh, we packed everything up and, and left. And then, I mean, I knew, 
right away coming back out for another 10 days with my wife that I was going to buy the second tag and, and hunt for another week because, um, that, I mean, that was a gift really that, that encounter, the way it all happened. I mean, to, to do a hang and hunt, to do the quick rattle and to have that, that success like that on a brand new farm that we just, we didn't have any pictures of deer or anything like that. That was just really cool. Um, and it was just like, well, it was like a bonus deer. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Probably really wasn't supposed to happen. That just doesn't, for me, a hunter like me, that type of stuff just doesn't ever happen. Yeah. So um, you decided to take the opportunity and run with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool, so well, congratulations. Yeah. Looks like a big body deer got some meat out of him. And, um, and so then it was time to head back. Now, did you go back and hunt Michigan for a little bit? at all or did you just chill and then wait for the wife and then head head out to nebraska again no i went um i went back to work for a couple days because i do have to work even though i don't like to work during the rut but uh... (laughs) i don't i don't think anybody really likes to work during the rut i mean i even found myself um at night like i just want to go to bed but I had to stay up till like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night to make sure these podcasts get up, you know, these podcasts get uploaded and and whatnot. Um, So you went back to work. When did you and your wife head back out to Nebraska then? So basically I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which I believe was like the fourth, fifth and sixth or something like that. Yeah. Um, And we headed back out Wednesday night, which was, yeah, November 6th, and we were hunting by November 7th. Okay, so did the farm change at all in that period of time? More, did, did more deer eventually move in? Yeah, yep, we had, we had consistent, well, the corn got cut on the timber, that was like a quarter mile to the north, like the day before we got there, and uh, yeah, there was, I don't know, six or seven bucks that showed up. And I want to say, let's see, there's probably two four-year-olds and at least a five-year-old. And yeah, one five-year-old for sure that showed up. Okay. So So this had you feeling a little bit better about what you were seeing because you left, you you shot your deer, although you shot one, you felt like the farm and movement was dead or nocturnal, right? Exactly. Okay. So you, uh, you get back out there and uh, you had some more deer move in. Um, I, I know that you like to film your hunts. So were you and the wife going to do a tag team, uh, kind of effort and both of you be in the same tree or did you guys split up? We, we split up. I filmed her last year and it's all good and fun and stuff like that, but I like to hunt. So I, um, yeah, I, uh, I just kept self-filming and, and kept hunting. I actually, first deer I killed, I totally could have gotten on film, but the camera was pointing at right at him and was on. I just had to hit record, and uh, I didn't even bother with it. I literally looked at my camera, looked at the deer, and said, F it. I'm just yeah. going to shoot this thing. Yeah. So Probably but, yeah, the best so, thing to do. Yeah. 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 So, um, But, yeah, no, the, so the, the second trip out there with my wife, um, no, we were I, – I gave her – there was – Gosh, there was three really good stands that we completely left alone that were in the core of the property, and we just totally left them for her. Yeah. And um, so, so w- did the sign open up 
when you were there as well? Because in Iowa, man, I saw, I saw scrapes and I saw rubs, but I didn't see near the amount uh, that I have in the past. Yeah, I would agree with that. This the scrape activity was was hot and heavy. I mean, there was, I think I've got ten preset tree stands on that on that farm and. I want to say at one point I had counted six of the 10 tree stands had scrapes at the base of the, the tree, like within five yards of the base of the tree. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was saw a lot of, I mean, there would be one day where there you'd go in and w- when you got done hunting in the morning, you get down and, um, there'd be like five fresh scrapes. Wow. And then you look wish. at it, right. You look at a camera, uh, in the area and yeah, there's like, there's, two mature bucks between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. And you're like, okay, gotcha. Are they, was there any movement that was uh, daylight activity? Yeah, I would say from, mm, I want to say, I know November 7th and 8th, my wife watched a four-year-old at like 100 yards uh the night of November 7th and the morning of November 8th. Could, he was chasing a doe around. She couldn't get him to, to, to come in and even probably look her way. Um, I was letting her hunt all the good stuff, and I was kind of just hanging out in just like the, the lower-tier locations, you know. I was yeah. hanging out on the south side of the farm where there's no crops and there hadn't been crops and, and stuff like that, just trying to let her kind of experience the rut and uh, – have fun with it and fill a tag. Yeah. But uh, about November, it was probably a little lull there. I think it got warm and then um, it got really cold on, I want to say like Monday the 11th. Yep. And yeah, so we started having mature buck encounters again on Monday. Tuesday, November 12th, um, it was negative four degrees in the morning. Yep. And I probably had the best day of bow hunting of my entire life. I saw, oh, I saw 50 plus deer. Now, when you say you're seeing, you know, the one night you saw 30, the other, uh, that night you saw 50, how many of these deer are within shooting range? Oh, that first night that I saw 30 that I told you about, I would say 75% were in bow range. Oh, that's good. Uh huh. And then this day that I saw fifty, I would say eighty to ninety percent were in bow range. I had, I had fifteen, I had fifteen deer at twenty yards or less by with it. I think before the sun even came up, that half hour of, I think I was hunting where all the does had gone to bed. Honestly, gotcha. I was I was glassing and not really seeing much of anything. It's really like. This timber pocket that I was hunting is probably only six acres of timber. And I just crept right in the edge of it. I'm only about 40 yards in the edge of it. It's real thick, but it's all like, it's all like, the, it's not flat ground. It's all like buckets, like wavy ground. And I think they, they were all bedding down in like the little bottoms. And um, I think they were getting up as I was seeing them because I was, I could glass and see, you know, 100 yards in any direction. And I would glass one way, and by the time I scanned back, there'd be four does standing there. And I'd just be like, where? I mean, they were standing there, and they were, like, kind of shaking their coat and stuff like that. So 
I'm wondering if they were just getting up out of their bed and I just randomly, I mean, the reason I was hunting there, no joke. The reason I picked this tree stand to hunt is because it was the farthest from the truck and I wanted to gain the most heat on my walk into the tree stand. (laughs) (laughs) So you could instantly, so you could instantly start freezing. No, I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't sweat. If I, if I, if I pack the right coats in and stuff like that and kind of get dressed in the tree, I don't sweat too bad, especially when it's negative four out. I don't really sweat at all. Yeah. So, and I was walking slow because it was so cold. There was an inch of snow on the ground. So it was just crunching. And I mean, it was so cold that it was like ice crunching under your feet. So I was trying to do, I was trying to step, oh, was it toe to heel? Like when I got like a hundred yards from this timber pocket, I slowed my approach way down and I started going heel to toe and I would do two steps and then pause for like three seconds and then do two steps. I just, I just took my time, got in there. I mean, it was a clear, it was a clear night. It was a full moon that was still up and I mean, it was casting a shadow on me and it was so loud that I was convinced that I was going to blow every deer out that was within earshot of me. But, um, no, I had a ton of deer. I was, uh, by 8 AM, I think I had seen 15 to 20 deer and I was at full draw on a big buck. And so as it got light out, I had noticed that there was a scrape 20 yards to my left and a scrape 20 yards to my right. And it snowed on Monday and this Tuesday. So I'm like, well, these things just got hit overnight. And sure enough, there's a big buck working the one to my right, um, at 20 yards. And it's one of those, it's one of those situations where you have to do like a 180 in the tree stand. And, um, saddle hunters would say that it's on their weak side. If you know what I mean? Yep. So, <laughs> sorry, I got buddies that are saddle hunters and they talk about their weak side. And it's, 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 a, it's an ongoing Dude, that's, joke. That's why I don't, that's why I probably, you know, I won't sh- sit in a saddle, man. I don't think I could. I can't, I, so, I, swinging around your weak side and all that stuff is just like, it, I just feel that's way more movement than if you're doing it in a tree stand. But the saddle hunters out there are listening to me right now and calling me a punk. Right. Oh yeah, me too. Me too. But, uh. No, so I was. It's one of those things where you're facing the you're facing the tree, right? You right. got to do a full one eighty in your tree, and you're facing the tree. And I'm at full draw, and uh, I don't know. I've got maybe a four inch opening to slip an arrow through as this thing's working a scrape, and I'm at full draw on them for thirty seconds, and I'm doing like the, you know, squat in the tree stand kind of a little bit thing, trying to change up the angle, trying to find the angle of like the clear shot, and I just can't do it. And he he finally. He moves on. I snort wheeze at him, and he looked back but didn't really care much for it. Um, and I was like, well, I was like, after last year, I told myself I was going to be more aggressive with, with my shots. I was going to – I've talked to a lot of people that they're like, dude, Bose, you're pulling 70 pounds. Like, you're going to be able to punch it right through little twigs and branches. Like, just send it, you know? And I'm like, that's not me. I try to take more ethical shots. So going into this year, I thought I was told myself, like, you get one of these shot opportunities where there's a little bit of small twigs, just like take the shot, do it. And and I didn't. So I was kind of kicking myself. And as I'm sitting there and of course, like I'm seeing more and more deer. And as I'm sitting there, I'm like replaying it over and over in my head and I stand back up and I spin around 
and I, I'm like replaying, I'm replaying the whole thing in my head. And I backed up as far as I could on that platform. And it's one of those hang-ons that has uh, like the footrest on it. Yep. So I put, I put my heels all the way onto the footrest. And if I was standing like that, I had about a basketball size opening to shoot like where this deer was at on this scrape. And I was like, well, you could have taken, you could have, you could have figured it out. You could have moved far enough back, um, and, and had an open shot. Uh, but it's like, whatever you live and you learn type of deal. So, um, I ended up getting down cause he was freezing cold and windy and I had to run down to, uh, Omaha to, to pick up my, my process deer. The first one I shot. So quick ran down there, came back, I get back in my, I'm, I'm heading back out. I'm about, it's probably two o'clock and I'm no more than 10 yards from my tree stand. And I look through the timber and a hundred yards from me, there's a buck breeding a doe. And I'm like, all right. So I, I dropped to my knees, I get my binos out and I'm trying to figure out like what buck it is, how I can get in this tree stand or potentially put a stalk on this thing um, without getting busted. And I bring my binos down cause I hear something and I look and there's a doe 20 yards to my right. She starts blowing at me. I was like, well, this is over. And then I look to my left and there's a spike at 10 yards blowing at me. I was like, okay, I need, like, it's just going on today. Like I just need to get back in this tree. Yeah. So get back in the tree, never really saw what buck was breeding, what doe or whatever. So saw a couple young bucks and then, um, I don't know about, sorry, this is long winded. No, you're but, good. Yeah. Sure. Um, about gets dark at five 45. So right about five o'clock, my wife sends me a text that, uh, she just had a mature buck, uh, dog and some does and they were heading my way and I'm probably 400 yards from her. So I'm like, all right, maybe they'll come up by me. Maybe they'll go out feed into the CRP field. I, I don't know what they're going to do. Well, half hour goes by and I see two does. And I look behind them, and it's getting pretty dark, especially back in the timber. And I just see big body, big rack, and I was like, perfect. So didn't know what way he was going to go. The deer were traveling with the wind, um, so I knew I was good there. And sure enough, this buck comes, and he works that same exact scrape. And I just backed up, put my heels right on that footrest, and was able to send one without without uh any deflections or anything like that double lunged him and he went maybe 100 yards and tracked him to the snow super easy got to him and i've got a lot of cameras on that property and they've been there for many months and i had never gotten a picture of this buck so just a random rut traveler and was able to be in the right spot at the right time and and make the proper adjustment so you put your wife and I'm doing this with my, uh, I'm putting my air quotes up in the best stands. And now here you are with two Nebraska deer and she still hasn't shot one. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Well, she was hunting stands that nobody had sat in. Yeah. The yeah. stand that I killed that deer out of, it was like the sixth time someone had been there. Yeah. What did, uh, what was she seeing? She was seeing mature bucks. She just couldn't get shots off. Yeah. So, were they yeah. were they too far away, or did they come through? Were they coming through too quickly? Why? Did, yeah. What was I the think reason? It was combination of things. Uh, either no clear shot, um, 
too far away or um i don't know just couldn't get him to couldn't get him to stop so she um she did end up shooting a buck the next day um and it was probably the oldest buck on that property but he had a real messed up rack like his rack wasn't big at all super wide but like no tine length nothing but i'll send you pictures of this deer he's got a tank of a body he's He's probably one of those bucks that's old and on the way down. Yeah. Uh, yep. So you you uh, you sh- shot another eight pointer, and that what date was that? It's November twelfth. Okay, so November twelfth, you shot a, a big eight pointer. What are you thinking, four year old? I think he's three and a half. Three and a half. Okay. Yeah, okay. I I scored him. He was a uh, he was a one thirty five. That's my that's my biggest buck. So 135 inch, uh, three-year-old, uh, out of state. That's, uh, especially walking away with two deer on the, now that was the same farm, right? Nope. As a, that was the main farm. We the hunt. main farm. Okay. Yeah. But yep. same general area, right? Yeah. 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 And, uh, your wife walks away with a, a buck as well. Uh, maybe not in the antler department, but, uh, you thinking that's a three and a half year old as well then? No, so the one that, yeah, the one that she shot, we did not find. We've got, uh, okay, yeah, yeah, pretty unfortunate situation there. We tracked, I mean, we did, we didn't find one speck of blood, and there was an inch of snow on the ground. So, yeah, uh, she hit him high. Um, arrow was lodged in him, and I don't, we don't know. I mean, I we we grid searched the whole area. I droned the whole area looking for deer. Um, which ended up, it's really cool footage, but uh, couldn't find a deer in it. And then, uh, I mean, we were seeing live deer, seeing turkeys and all sorts of stuff, but could not find a, a dead deer laying anywhere, which I know some guys use their drones to recover, you know, wounded animals like that. Um, yeah, she kept hunting. She had a couple more uh, big buck encounters, but just um, couldn't get any shots off. So it was a, it was a tough season for her, but... Um, yeah. yeah. And like I said, the buck, the buck she shot, I would be willing to bet he's seven or eight year old deer. He's oh, big. really? Yeah. Just like big bodied, big mature junk rack. Yeah. Like I have a picture of him walking away from a trail camera and I mean, it looks like he's three feet wide. Yeah. Like it's, it's silly how, how big he is yeah. body wise. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, it sucks that it didn't pan out for her, but it sounds like uh, the farm itself panned out. And, you know, it, it always, you know, you don't know really what's going to happen every rut. I know that for this year, I, you know, I always talk about this shift in, in September when all the summer patterns change, the deer strip their velvet, there's a huge shift. This year, that shift hit my farm hard the farm that i hunt really hard and i didn't see any mature bucks until i checked my trail cameras in the first week of november so uh it was it was odd going into a rut not necessarily knowing what to expect when historically you know i could tell you all right well there's a good chance i'm going to see these deer uh there's a good chance i know where they're going to be seen at what draws their unit and then this year that just didn't happen for me so it's good that uh, that farm panned out, and it sounds like uh, in the foreseeable future, you guys are just going to be making trips to Nebraska. 
Yeah, that was uh, that was the third year that we have gone there, and every year uh, we've been successful. Um, just kind of keeps getting better and better. Uh, they did have being right on the river and stuff like that. They did get hit by EHD um, back in what 2012. Yeah. Um, I know one of the a guy that used to hunt it. I mean, he he shows me pictures of deer that used to be down there, and I mean, there was there was some crazy genetics down there and there was a lot of deer. I mean, they, they told me that, you know, it's a small town. So everyone, I'm pretty sure everyone in this town used to hunt down there. Um, I say down there, but it's, you know, it's just what everyone calls it out there, but, uh, down by the river. Yeah. Um, but they used to say they, they, they'd be nothing to see 80 to a hundred deer in one day of bow hunting. Man, that just, yeah. seemed, that just seems overpopulated in, I, in, to a degree. That's what I said. And they were just like, no, they were just like, it's, there just was that many deer down there. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, congrats, dude. Um, what's the deal in Michigan? You going to do some, some gun hunting or, uh, is that winding down now? No, our gun, our gun season opened up on, um, Friday, November 15th. Um, I don't think that I'll do any hunting. My freezer's full to the brim. So, so, and I still have a deer all quartered up in a cooler. I got to take care of and, and throw in my parents' freezer. But, um, so yeah, we're, we're pretty good. I'm sure my wife will get out and try to fill a tag, but, uh, no, it's probably on to steelhead fishing on the river. So yeah. when one door closes, another opens. That's right. That's right. Well, I'll walk you, I'll kind of walk you through my rutcation right now. I'll, I'll tell you, man, um, I, I didn't really know what to expect for this, for this rut. Um, and like I said, it was because when I went there the previous weekend to hunt, uh, you know, the, the late October time frame, I ran into nothing like dead, like, I saw a couple uh, young bucks, and the motto of the first week of November, I just called it the two-year-old parade because <laughs> that's all I saw. Every stand that I, I went to um, was two-year-olds chasing does. And it took me a while. Two-year-olds, I had some encounters with some three-year-olds, but um, November 1st was the first evening that I got to hunt. So I woke up at my house you know, kissed my kids on the head and said, be good for mom and, uh, drove an hour and, you know, 20 minutes South to the farm, got in the tree. And instantly I started seeing like that first night was money because I had, uh, two, uh, two, three-year-olds come through and like three or four, two-year-olds. And I think one four-year-old in the distance. Um, it was hard for me to tell because I think he actually watched me set up my tree stand. He blew at me. And then he turned around and walked back into the bedding area. And then I think I saw him again walking away with some other deer that were kind of pseudo chasing a doe. But that first night I saw seven bucks and three does. And I thought I felt like, oh, my God, if it's going to be like this the rest of the rut, it's going to be an amazing rut. And the i'm sitting in that tree that first night and we got bucks snort wheezing at each other they're posturing up they're like charging each other wow um, yeah it was it was nuts and i'm just like this is awesome like right uh, right you know 
And on top of that, I didn't see any sign going into that bedding area, but it's through scouting and through past experiences. Um, this is what I would say is one of the best bedding areas in all of the farm. There's two really good bedding areas on this farm. Uh, one is clear on the east side of the farm. One is clear on the west side of the farm, which is kind of cool. It, it kind of almost it almost separates the farm in half, and uh, it allows me to know that if I'm not seeing the caliber of deer that I want to on a specific side of the farm, I can flip and go over to the other side and not worry about one half of the farm, you know, give or take. So, you know, that first night was kind of a, oh my God moment where I said to myself, this is going to be an amazing rut and I'm going to see shooters every hunt, you know, all this stuff. Well, what really sucked was that wasn't the case through throughout the next handful of days it just there there was i would say within a half a mile of the farm that i hunted we were running into standing corn and i'm talking 800 to a thousand acres of it and 450 to 500 acres of standing corn on the farm or uh, not on the farm but bordering the farm that I hunt. So my farm had no standing crops. Uh, they had all been picked, but everything else was standing still. And I'll be honest, I think that played a huge role in what I, what I would see because in the years where all the crops are out, it's, it's awesome in the timber, uh, in, in this big block of timber. It's awesome in the, on the, uh, you know, in these bedding areas, just watching the deer cycle through there uh, all morning and all afternoon, and that didn't happen. So I think the dispersal of the herd was just thin across the terrain, and they really didn't need to come into the timber. Uh, right. They could right. they could just chill in the cornfields and in the waterways and the buffer strips, and um, and as you know and everybody else knows, that's hard to hunt a deer that doesn't necessarily need to move anywhere. Uh, right. And, you know, if, if, if it did come to looking for a, a doe to breed, just chill out in a cornfield. They're going to come. You know what I mean? So, yep. I mean, I wish I could sit here and tell you step by step as far as what was going on. Uh, I had a hit list of deer that I wanted to, wanted to, uh, you know, go after. But after checking the first round of trail cameras that first week, you know, after I'm cycling through all of them, I, I, I noticed that there was very low movement on my farm. And like you said, trail cameras can't tell you everything about the property that you hunt. But it, for me, it gives me an idea and I've hunted and I've got trail cameras seven years now or seven or eight years now on this farm. I got trail cameras in some pretty good locations. And right. if there's a deer on this farm, it's going to go through this location at some point. And, uh, you know, even going into November 5th, there the last time some of these shooters were on camera was mid you know, mid October and we're talking middle of the night, you know what I mean? So, yep. so it kind of, it kind of got me a little frustrated on, on what, you know, where are these deer? Now there was one particular shooter on my farm that I knew historically didn't show up until the 10th, 11th or 12th, um, whatever that, that time frame. 
And so I knew I had to be patient. However, he was on one side of the farm, the east side of the farm. So there were a couple nights that I went to the west side of the farm that had more egg, less big timber and more egg. And I wanted to just, you know, just to see what was out there. And I had some really good encounters uh, the first night into that stand. You know, they say the uh, first time in, best time in. Yep, yep, for motto. sure. And, uh, dude, I passed an an 11.3 year old, probably in that one low one fifties, high one forties. Uh, I mean, when he popped up out of the Crick with this doe, I looked at him, I'm like, Oh my God, he's a stud shooter. But then the more I had the opportunity to look at him, it was a real slow progression towards my stand. Uh, I could identify that he's only a three year old, real long legs, and I'll tell you, I'm glad I didn't shoot him just because I think he has the possibility of being something very special, you know, next year or when, right. he, when, he, when he turns four. But quick, quick question. Yeah. So did you age him like on the hoof or did you basically identify what bucket was and then you were able to think back to trail camera pictures and yeah. And, and know that he was a three-year-old versus a four. Yeah, so that this year on the west side of the farm, I didn't get any trail camera okay. pictures up. So um, if I did get a picture of him, it would have been from two years ago, and I didn't even think back that far. From the time I saw him to the time that he was within shooting range, and I mean underneath of my stand, was 45 minutes. That's how much yeah. time, and, and that deer then stood under my stand for another 30 minutes. I mean, I'm talking right. under my stand because he was pinning a doe into this bedding area, wouldn't let her cross the creek into this field where all the other deer eventually end up. But, uh, man, that had to been, that had to been so cool to see. Oh dude, he was snort wheezing and, uh, every once in a while he, or and the entire time. So he snort wheezed once at a, uh, a little spike buck that kind of worked his way in. But then there was a time where, I mean, the entire time I saw him, he was making these pop grunts where it's just, uh, uh, for an hour and a half, I could hear him making that (laughs) that noise. Every breath, he was making that little pop. And uh, he had this doe pinned into this bedding area, and he was not letting her go anywhere. Uh, So it was cool to just watch this whole thing unfold. And uh, it just... That I think it, that that happened on November third or fourth. So I had this encounter with a really good deer, um, and you know, kind of fast forward through the the west side of that farm. I had two more encounters with him, and every time I had an encounter with him, the first time I saw him, I was like, "Oh my god, that's a big deer!" And he is he's narrow, but he's tall, uh, and he I mean, if you look at him, he looks really good. But I'm just I'm ha- I'm happy that encounter that first encounter didn't happen fast, because I probably would have shot him on the first night. I, right. I I got the opportunity to really observe him. It really wasn't what I was looking for, and um, you know I I had I had three deer really three deer in mind going into to my rut on my quote unquote hit list that uh, I kind of watched all summer, and if they uh, if they were going to show up then. Um, 
that's what I wanted. And then I eventually did, I had, did you have, did, what, what criteria were you working with? Did it have to be a certain age, certain yeah, antler so, size? Yeah. So on the farm this year, I had a, you know, for the last three years, I've been watching a slammer, just a giant, yep. right? Yep. There's that him. He's hard to locate. Then there was another 10 pointer that probably would go a typical 10 that probably goes high one sixties, low one seventies, a 10 year, uh, a 10 point booner. Uh, he's probably five. And Jeez. then uh, a nine year old buck that I call it dork. And right. yeah. uh, he's, yeah. he's just this one thirty class, big mass deer, nothing in the antler department, but he's nine. So of course, if, you know, if he, I had the encounter with him, uh, he, he got, he would get the arrow on purely on, uh, on age alone. Right. Yeah. So yep. I had two five-year-olds that I was looking at, um, one nine-year-old and then, you know, the occasional bonus buck that comes through. And again, I didn't know what was on the West side of the farm because I didn't have trail cameras out there at, at all. Right. Right. So. Uh, and, and, and I knew that the east side of the farm would awaken similar to what you were going through in Nebraska, probably that second week into the rut. So the first week bouncing across uh, on the east side of the farm, you know, I was seeing in in these major pinch points on the farm. I was seeing two year olds, an occasional three year old. I passed uh, the second day, actually, in uh, the the. Let's see. In the afternoon, I passed that. Let's see. Afternoon of the third, I passed that uh, that three-year-old down in the bottom on the west side of the farm. Then that next morning, I passed another three-year-old. He was a nine-pointer, just one of these deer that's real spindly, uh, really, really good. He he's going to grow up to be another stud buck. Uh, next year or whatever and uh, so if he makes it he'll be a he'll be a, a great deer but uh, again really not what I'm looking for so I, by this point I'm seeing two three-year-olds and about seven thousand two-year-olds yeah um, and these two-year-olds were all over these does and just you know if they were truly hot they were going to be chased by something bigger right but they were not and, uh, so there's no, no, no real Intel to let me know that I need to be hunting in these specific areas because number one, I'm not seeing any sightings from the stand. There's no hot sign, which was odd. And, uh, there's no trail camera Intel for me to get fired up on this farm quite yet. So I bounce around to a couple locations. I go back uh, on the South side of that main bedding area that I had all the encounters with, you know, see a couple young bucks and some does. A lot of the does were still in groups coming out all the time, you know, in, in these groups with each other. Uh, didn't yep. seem like there, any of the does were really nervous yet other than, you know, these three-year-olds more annoyed that these three-year-olds and two-year-olds were pushing them around. Um, and then I went back down to the bottom on, uh, where there was all these, these picked cornfields. And I had a similar kind of experience that half of these fields, the corn came up probably in July, there was a flood, uh, it stunted its growth. The weeds were able to get in. So half the cornfield was there. And then the other half of the cornfield was still there, but 
weeded up with thorns and burrs and all this stuff. So uh, it almost, it was kind of a good thing because I knew where the deer were moving. Uh, if all of the corn was in, it makes it a little bit difficult to uh, get a pin on these guys. But when the corn, there was one entire, I would say, 50-acre cornfield that was weeds. So that allowed me to just kind of ignore that because no deer were coming from that area or going okay. to that area. They were going yep. to this bigger this bigger cornfield. And I was able to identify a doe group and where they were bedded and come in. So I moved in and... Uh, the, I would say it was November 5th that I saw my first quote unquote shooter. Uh, that night I passed, uh, that three-year-old again, I passed another unique three-year-old. I passed two more two-year-olds. Um, and then I, I eventually did pass a four-year-old that had, uh, he was a 10 pointer. I'm guessing like 125, 10 year old, four pointer, just like, not very good genetics for that area, and uh, so I decided to pass him as well. Other than that, I saw two more throughout that week. I saw two more shooters in the bottom there. Uh, I wouldn't say shooters. Two, One shooter for sure. Another one was a borderline shooter. He just didn't come in. I tried to grunt at him. He wasn't having it, and he just kind of kept working through the area. Um, the, the other deer that I think was a shooter was out in the cornfield at last light. I was able, he came from the opposite direction. I put the binos up big body deer. You can easily identify that he was a shooter at that point. And, um, uh, he kind of worked away with a doe group and, uh, he didn't really stick out to me. So it's not like I went back to that area trying to hunt that specific deer. Now, I think at this point I, I should say that here, here is typically my routine when I, when I start my rut vacation, the first thing that I do is, and I didn't have, I had looking at my map here, I got one, let's see, I got one, two, three. I had three tree stands preset on the farms that I have access to. And that's like 1100 acres so three preset and those are historically we got a good pinch point a really good pinch point uh historical bedding area and then another stand on the same pinch point but for a different wind direction right so the routine that i try to fall into uh on the rut is to check the trail cameras locate where something's moving in, locate fresh sign, move in, hunt there in the afternoon, hunt there in the morning. And if I need to leave that stand up, I leave the stand up if I need, and then take the sticks down and go somewhere else and hunt that, you know, I get into this routine to where I'm going wherever the most recent data is. And, yep. uh, so whether that's on a bedding area, whether that's in a morning pinch point, and then as I can see at the longer that I'm in the tree and the longer that my week goes on it's hopefully the goal is to that's going to try to allow me to see where the deer are moving and then i can just kind of hone that throughout the rest of the week like cast a wide net and then as i learn more about the property i can get real detailed and make smaller moves into specific areas hopefully i encounter the you know the deer that i want to encounter Right. So, um, 
that really wasn't happening because I, you know, I wasn't seeing the caliber of deer really that I wanted to see. Um, like I said, I, I had the first week I was being very picky, but also on the first week I was realizing that the standing corn was playing a big role in me not being able to see the maturity of deer, the number of deer that I wanted to see. I mean, there were still in that first week, there were nights where I would see, you know, 15 deer, 10 deer, but then there were mornings or afternoons within that first week where I didn't see a deer, not one. But for me personally, I'm not trying to see deer. I'm trying to kill deer. So that, right. so I'm not hunting field edges. I'm going in deep. I'm hunting in specific points in specific pieces of the property to, you know, like I'm hunting trails at this point, or I'm hunting a terrain feature. And uh, if the deer were coming through that terrain feature or on that trail, then that's the goal. Right. And eventually what happened is, you know, I would, I transitioned from those specific terrain features from those specific trails and go to a, an observation stand. And then when I'm sitting in an observation stand that I can see a hundred acres or more from, and I'm not seeing the caliber of deer that I want to see, then that is when I think it was on uh, Friday morning, I was sitting in a uh, last Friday morning, which would have been November 6th or 7th or something like that. I, uh, I said to myself, dude, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to go home uh, for a day or two just because there was nothing moving. It was very slow. Like I said, unless you wanted to kill a two-year-old, if you wanted yep. to, you know, if you wanted to shoot a two-year-old, I could have accommodate every hunter in the County. If I felt <laughs> like, you know, nice. and then you got these, these, uh, four corns or spike bucks that I don't even know how they survive the rut because they are just making hot laps around the farm. You know, uh, yeah. yep. <laughs> these, I hear you. I, it blows my mind that these deer are walking on their feet for like 30 days. I feel like some of these bucks are getting half a mile away from one point of the farm to the other point of the farm within an hour and then back again within an, within an hour. And they're just, they're just making hot laps, pushing does. The does are just like, come on, dude. Like I'm going to bang you. No, right. Right. (laughs) Right. Get realistic, buddy. Right. Yeah. Yep. So, so, um, so I wasn't seeing that. And my wife had, my wife had, uh, something that she wanted to do. Uh, so I came back home, watched the kids on a Friday, uh, evening, then the next morning, or it was, that must've been a Thursday because the kids went to school or no, that was a Friday evening, Saturday morning. I took my wife out, uh, for breakfast, uh, with one of our kids. Uh, my gr- mom took another uh, two of the other kids, uh, on a little vacation, a little weekend at my great grandma's or their great grandma's. And I just kind of took that time to say, Hey man, nothing's moving. Let me go back home. Let me, uh, see if the wife needs help with anything. Let me ease some stress on her. end. and then Saturday morning after we were done with breakfast, then we ended up coming back. Now, um, it was, I had some work to do. It was snowing. Uh, it was just really windy. So I decided to watch the mm-hmm. Iowa football game and chill with my dad and do some work that I needed to do and then hit hard, which would have been Sunday morning again. So Sunday, whatever that, whatever that day was. Um, and then Sunday morning, 
uh, I went back to the pinch, uh, the big pinch, and I saw a shit ton of deer, but again, nothing. And I think that was like, I'm look, let me pull up my calendar here once. Um, yeah, so that would have been Sunday the 10th. I hunted real hard. The nothing really happened that evening i switched it up and went into uh, a different part of the farm uh you know again nothing happens and it's just it got slow and i and at this point i'm saying to myself okay i really have to start thinking about i really have to start thinking about what my goals are because it has snowed at this point which means that it's going to melt, which means that the in the temps are the temps are eventually going to drop. If the corn's not out now, it's not going to be out until the ground is frozen solid at this point. Right? The they're yep. not, they're not going to be able to get the combines in for another week and by that time my my hunt is over. So now and, and by this time still, I haven't had any shooter bucks or any of my hit listers show up on trail camera or sightings. So I said to myself, Hey man, I'm going to have to, I'm going to, I'm going to have to potentially change and I'm just going to go for a, uh, a high quality four-year-old or older. Right. So I, I kind of changed up my, um, I changed up my strategy at that point or, or my goal at that point. And I just kind of, I don't know. I, I just said to myself, you know, there's a chance that some of these deer aren't even going to show up because of all the grain that's in the field and how slow everything was. And I knew that there was a point where, um, they kind of feedback, they kind of come back into the area, uh, later in November, but a, the grains in B I'll be gone. So, uh, I changed some, some things up. So that night, uh, which would have been, I'm trying to look here that night, which would have been, uh, I said, I'm going to go to an observation stand or, uh, I got in tight on a bedding area on the 10th, the 11th. I went morning of the 11th. I went back to that bedding area, saw a, you know, a handful of deer, nothing, nothing serious. Um, the evening of the 11th, uh, and I think, no, the morning of the 11th, I'm trying to think here. Yeah. The morning of the 11th, uh, I, I'm sorry here. I'm trying to think, okay, here's what I did. Uh, so the, t- the morning of the 10th, I hunted in the big pinch, the, the evening of the 10th, I set up my tree stand in a big bedding area, uh, or not oh, on a, on a big ridge where I could see a long way and it, and it had just, it was getting ready to snow. I think that Sunday night. And I said to myself, okay, I'm going to come, I'm going to see what's moving through here in the evening. And then I'll come back here again on the 11th. And the 11th was the really cold morning where it was like negative four outside. And with the wind chill, it was like negative, whatever. So negative 16 is what I had. Yeah. So it was like negative wind chill. Yeah. Negative 10 here. And it was, it was nasty. Mm -hmm. So I went back to that after the snows on the ground, um, and this is this is crazy because we all have been taught that deer walk into the wind, right? They use their nose for everything. And you have already mentioned it on this podcast, and I'm going to mention it now, that I noticed that there was a lot of deer movement on the 
south side of this valley, which means a north-facing slope, and the deer were more active on that north-facing slope with a north wind, which tells you that if they're going uphill at that point, they got the wind to their back. And I saw a lot of movement this year with the deer and the wind to their back, right? They were still hugging the top third of all these ridges or the, or the bottom part of these ridges, but they were doing it with the wind to their back. And I think, you know, it's a great, it's a great lesson to say, okay, the deer do use their nose, but man, I don't think they use their nose as much as we think they do. Right. I mean, I just during the, I would say probably more so during the rut. They, yeah. They don't use their nose as much. Well, they don't use the, the wind directly yeah. in their face or, or perpendicular to them as much as we would maybe think they do, or as maybe as much as they do September, October right. type of deal. Right. So I guess what I'm getting at here is I saw that they're not doing this. And then I made an adjustment based off that. Right. So yep. I noticed yep. that a majority and a lot of this had to do also with that standing grain on the south side of the farm. So if these does are coming in and out of this grain, this grain field and they are going back into the timber, of course, most of the, the buck movement is going to be on the south side of the farm on the north facing slope. So that morning I go back to that tree stand that I set up that night and it's it's brutally cold so i have my stocking cap pulled down over my face as the sun's coming up and i'm not i'm i'm really not even watching deer at this point i'm i'm basically just starting to uh trying to stay alive at this point (laughs) it was so it was so cold but i had really good access and i want to talk about access here in a little bit but i had really good access to the stand and um I'm stocking caps over the face. And I said, dude, I got to warm up. I don't want to get down yet. Cause it's, it's not even seven o'clock. It's like seven, it's seven. So I said to myself, I'm going to rattle. And hopefully that warms me up enough to where I can gut it out until the sun comes up and I can just, the, the sun will help warm me up. So I, how, how aggressive are you rattling where it warms you up? <laughs> well, I tell you what, when I rattle, I, I simulate a buck fight. Gotcha. Right. I don't, I don't pussyfoot around. Gotcha. I, 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 when I rattle, I rattle so hard that you can smell the bones. Um, nice. That you, you smell the, the burning antler. That's how hard right. I rattle. So, okay. Okay. <laughs> not to make me sound like a badass, but I don't know. No, when I, I've done that before and it doesn't work. I have more luck when I, I rattle uh, mildly for five seconds, pause for five, again for five seconds, mild, and pause another five seconds. And then I go again for about five where I just kind of grind the horns together. Yeah. And that's about all I do. That's that's the only time I can get bucks to come into rattling. If I, if I simulate two mature bucks going at it, and uh, I've never had deer come in for me. Yeah. So anyway... Um... I crack the antlers and this young two-year-old of course comes in and uh, now he's coming from the bottom up with the wind at his back. I'm sitting at this, this point with a Northwest wind. My wind is blowing not down the ridge, but kind of corner uh, kitty cornering off of it down into a drainage. Um, 
and then that kind of leads up to uh, this grass field with some hay in it and then eventually to a cornfield. So my whole point with the stand location is to just have my scent drop down off into this ridge and catch the deer coming back on the opposite side of this drainage right by my stand location, right? Because I, uh, I wanted to catch them coming off the cornfield. This buck comes through and uh, I stand up, I watch him for a little bit and then he works his way off up the drainage where my scent was blowing and which is okay um, because the goal was hopefully if they did do that, then he would be far enough away to where if he did smell me, he's already heading the opposite direction of me. And, you know, I was hoping that my Ozonics would come into play there as well and and help me out so um i wasn't too i really wasn't too worried about it but my goal was to catch everything coming away from the corn back into the bedding on the on these ridges well i sit back down pull my stocking cap over my face and i'm just huddled there trying to stay warm and i hear something behind me just like these cracking branches and uh, so i'm just like oh man i don't want to stand up but i better inspect and it's right as the sun's kind of coming over top of the ridges. Pull, uh, pull my binos out, and I start scanning. And there's my number one. He's standing. He oh, did, really? Yeah. He did what I was hoping, hoping the deer were going to do, but he did it one ridge away from me. And so there's this little spur ridge in between these two bigger ridges that he I don't know if he heard me rattle and he came into that, but he didn't come all the way to me or he was maybe uh, an additional ridge over and heard it and then came up in to investigate by that ridge. But when I heard him, uh, he was raking a tree. And um, so I see him. I'm like, oh, shit, here we go. I And I really wasn't too jacked at that point, like fired up, number one, because I felt like I was battling hypothermia. At that point, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. At, but at the same time, I I, I got a, I got a, a a bead on him. You know what I mean? Like I now mm-hmm. know where he has been, and maybe he's going to use that again because I have this theory that the rut is chaos. But at the same time, if a buck does not have a doe, he's he's doing what I what I'm doing, and he's going through this routine routine of tree stands until he finds something that he likes. Then he goes in and stays in that area or wherever uh, until he, uh, until I find something that I like now him, I think these deer are just circling bedding areas. So they're going and checking doe groups. If there's nothing there, he moves on to the next one, moves off to the next bedding area, moves on to the next doe group. And they just circle these areas until they find something and then they split with that doe or chase that doe clear across wherever and then eventually they breed that doe and then they come back to their little routine that they have so although there's chaos i just feel like there's also still um some some rhythm and some pattern into the rut as well so i said to myself okay i've identified where he's at and he's actually walking away from me but towards my scent cone if that makes sense yep so So still a northwest wind, it's draining, it's going into the drainage. So I necessarily can't call to him because if he does loop through, he's coming through my scent cone at some point. And although I do trust my Ozonics, I just really didn't want to take that risk and call him into 
like directly into my right. my scent cone. Um, so I decided to let him disappear, work his way up the drainage more, and then I did a, a grunting sequence, and hopefully, you know, that would pull him, loop him all the way around uh, further, and and he works that same ridge back to me, and eventually, uh, you know, work his way in through the, the same ridge that I was on, and, and it didn't happen. Um, but I got eyes on him, and so... I wait, I, I'm just scanning that area. I'm just, I, all I want to do is find out where he's going. And it's so thick on at the top of one of these ridges that I think he drops over the opposite side of the ridge, works his way up towards this cornfield. And then that's where I, I lose him. So I spent the next, I don't know, hour, hour and a half standing, just glassing that area, um, trying to get another glimmer of the direction that he's going. And unfortunately I don't, I don't get him, but I'm happy because it allows me to know that, Hey, I've identified where, where he was at. So I said to myself, okay, he's not going to stay on that little spur Ridge all day long. So I, I think I'm going to flip the script and now I have, I have some more information. So I really focused on the South facing slope across the Valley, but further to the East where I felt he was crossing at. And where I had seen deer earlier in the week, um, kind of working this ridge up to a picked bean field and eventually crossing a road to a standing cornfield. So I said to myself, uh, I'm going to try to get into this little pinch area where all these ridge ridges come together, but I'm going to, instead of being one third up, I'm going to be one third down so I can have a, or uh, one third from the bottom. I'm going to have a shot into this, like there's one two, three, four, five ridges all come down into this one, like two acre area. And that's where the kind of the crick starts. And so all the drainage comes off the top. They meet into this one crick and, but there's a lot of deer activity there. And I'm I'm thinking, okay, if he's going to cross to come back into, uh, where I thought he came from, this is going to be the best bet. So I hunted there an afternoon, passed a couple does and some young bucks coming through and I sat there the next morning and uh, I saw some deer down in the distance um, where see, I set up in that area because I wanted to be able to see the point of the ridge that he was on from the previous morning so I could uh, the goal was to see where he was crossing you know not necessarily set up to kill him but get some more information of what specific ridge he was using um, to come from doe bedding area to doe bedding area, right? So at the beginning, yep, at, the, yep. at the beginning of the season, I, I had identified every trail camera picture that I ever had, and I put those dots on a map, and it turned into basically a big triangle. So now what I've done is I've I'm now now that I've have a, a sighting of him, I'm going to focus everything inside this triangle, and that sighting was inside this triangle that I had identified. This is also what this has done is it has allowed me to cut off an additional 800 acres that I no longer need to worry about on the farm because he's not clear on the West side of the farm. He's not, you know, at the big pinch, he's working this area. Right. So I guess I just wanted to focus on this area. So I bounced around there, um, on the, the, 
let's see, it would have been the 12th. And then on the 11th, or uh, see, all day on the, t uh, the afternoon of the 11th, the 12th, um, and then the morning of the 13th, I went back into that little that little drainage area and didn't see anything. So I said, okay, well, maybe he's up high again on this, uh, on, on some higher ground, but on that really good bedding area that I kicked the day, the, you know, kicked the week off at. So I went in there on November 1st and it has been now it's November 13th, the afternoon of November 13th. And uh, I got pictures of him right outside of that bedding area multiple times uh, all last year, this year, uh, a couple times, but in late October. So now he should be funneling back into the area. I got a sighting of him in the area. And I said, I, I got a, they always say the first South after a whole bunch of Norths is a really yep. good, is really good to make a, a, a unique move. So I go back to that. My decision was that evening, I'm going back to that bedding area. Right. But here's the deal. I had a North, I was having a kind of a west wind, which really isn't good. And I had to wait until 2.30. And that's when the wind started shifting to southwest. So I wanted to get in there at like 1 o'clock. But I had to wait until the wind shifted so I could get back there. I didn't want to have the wind blowing down into the bedding area. I had to wait. So pull the truck in. And earlier I said I want to talk about access. One thing that I feel I, I did really right this year was talk, was my access routes were on point this year. I had some really money access routes, which allowed me uh, to get into some really good tree stand locations. And although some of them were aggressive, I feel that um, if, if you really think about your access routes to specific tree stand locations, you can you can cross a deer's travel path and not get busted, right? So uh, on that big pinch point, for, for example, the wind is blowing out of the south. I need it to blow out of the south in order to hunt that. It's on a north-facing ridge. The deer were cruising it all day long. and But I also accessed it from the south, which means that if there is a deer in that pinch point while I'm walking to the stand, there's a good chance that they're going to get busted but or that i'm going to get busted but if i can make it to that tree stand location and i can make it there without bumping any deer it's a rock solid set because everything at that point is blowing over their heads or they're they're cruising to the uh south side of me and i don't i don't need to worry about getting busted on a south wind so that's yep. that's the same thing with this uh bedding area um again uh the wind or the, the access meant that I had to stay low. I, I walked into a drainage and uh, let's see it here. I'm looking at the map now. I'm walking into the lowest possible spot uh, on this drainage. And to the left of me, to the west, is this big ridge. And on top of this big ridge is a giant rectangle. And that is the bedding area. Now, in the middle of this bedding area are two giant oak trees. And these oak trees have created a canopy and to the north and the south, it's real thick, but in this two acre little area, it's wide open and there are, there's some, there's some thickness in there, but the canopy doesn't let, you know, 
there's not a lot of growth underneath of it. So the deer stage there. It's almost like a staging area in between two bedding areas, and they just chill out. That's why all those deer were there on November 1st, and that's why what I'm about to tell you, why all the deer were there again on, uh, on the 13th. So I switched it up, got in there, took a hard 90-degree 90, 90 turn left, walked straight up that ridge um, from the drainage to my tree stand location, set up my first stick, set up my second stick. As I'm setting up my third stick, I look over, and there is a doe, and she has pegged me. And I'm just mm. like, oh, no, please do not. Because it's pretty aggressive for a, uh, an afternoon hunt to go in there. Because if the deer are already in there, you're taking a real big risk, potentially getting busted, if, especially during the rut, and a lot of deer are on their feet, right? It's an awesome, yep. it's an awesome morning spot because the deer are working their way through. They're, they're coming back to you. So at a southwest wind, my... Let's see. My wind is blowing kind of kitty corner uh, off the ridge down back into the drainage that I came from. So if uh, my goal was that the deer are coming from the north down to this bedding area and there's a chance that if there's too much south in the wind, I get busted. Or um, if they stay real low on the ridge coming up to this bedding area, they get busted. Uh, I get busted. But if I'm if they're already on top of the ridge or they're already in the bedding area, it's a money, it's a money spot on a southwest wind. So this deer's got me pegged. So I slow, but she doesn't know what I am because she doesn't have, uh, she doesn't have my wind. And so I'm crawling down the tree stand and uh, I get to the bottom and there's like this, these big bushes there that she can't see through, but I can kind of see, see her silhouette, uh, kind of come through. Uh, and all of a sudden I hear, and this four year old junk eight pointer, big bodied deer pushes her out. And I'm like, thank God. Cause I was thinking about shooting her just so I could not get, <laughs> not get busted. Yep, right. Yep. And, uh, I was, I was wondering, I was going to ask you that. Yep. So I end up, um, I end up getting set up the rest of the way and this, uh, uh, and the doe and the buck had kind of walked away and instantly I started seeing deer. Um, there's a, a button buck that came through another, uh, spike buck came through, um, another doe kind of worked her way into the area and they were already there, but they just didn't see they, they don't see you because it's so thick in this bedding area and they all kind of come work their way through the staging area and then another doe comes in and these two does were underneath of this oak tree the entire night that this is you know what's what's happening i and i only had three sticks high so i'm sitting at about 12 13 feet and uh so i'm not very high but i have a really good backdrop it's a a, a pine tree real thick and uh, so I really wasn't too worried about getting pegged um, if I just sat still and played my cards right I, th I felt I was going to be fine so these two does are sitting there um, and they're uh, they're just eating an acorns browsing here comes a 120 inch two-year-old comes through another two-year-old comes through and they're sent checking these does they bump them and then they kind of work their way out because they know they're not ready 
and it's about four o'clock when I heard some crashing coming clear across the west side of this bedding area on another ridge, and there's this doe sprinting right at me. And I'm just like, oh my God, you know what this means? That means there's a buck chasing this doe or several bucks chasing this doe. And she kind of comes up northwest of me. uh, So that's like to the left and up from me. And then she works her way up. She looks behind her a couple times, looks behind her a couple times. Body language is real tense. Looks behind her a couple times, walks and meets up with these two other does. And then she starts to feed under this oak tree. And I'm just like, okay, where's he at? Where's he at? And nothing's, nothing happens. There's nothing there. Um, this button buck comes back and uh, pushes the does around. He leaves and these does are staying right there. And I hear something crack behind me. So I turn around in my tree stand and I'm looking behind me. Um, and it's now it's this, this all takes place in the matter of 30 minutes, right? So this doe sprints across the ridge. She starts feeding that took five minutes and now she's just sitting there and I'm just waiting for this other buck to show up and nothing happened. It's like, what the hell's going on? Why is, why was she running through the woods that only something's chasing her? I don't care what's chasing. her. I just want to see what it is so I can get excited or not. And so the, I heard the crack, I turn around and it's uh, another little spike buck that I think has just been hanging around the whole night, but he was now, um, I was upwind of him, but he was behind me. Uh, He was just kind of milling around or hanging out or doing whatever. And then somewhere around 4.30, a little before 4.30, I hear, and then a trot. And right from where this doe came from, I look and it's this big buck, right? Um, And it's the buck I eventually get the shot on here, but um, he was trotting in. And the first thing that I thought of was just looking at his antlers. I'm like, oh my God, it's dork. It's that nine-year-old. But then I get another quick second to look at him. I'm like, okay, it's not dork. Brow tines are too short. And, um, but I feel it's a shooter because, you know, he kind of, he made me go, whoa, whoa, you know, that's a good buck. That's, that's what I felt anyway. So I, I, I didn't have very long to this whole encounter probably lasted 15 to 30 seconds, somewhere in there. You know, you kind of lose track of time when you get excited. Yep. And. So I draw, I I grab my bow, I draw back and I was just getting ready to stop him. And the does kind of leapt ahead a little bit where he was at. Then he put his nose, he stopped and put his nose to the ground uh, right where these does were standing. And I had ranged uh, the tree earlier at about 30 yards and he was just behind that tree. So I put my um, pin, my 30 yard pin, I would say three inches behind uh, three inches behind the the shoulder, settle in real clear, real good anchor, uh, felt real good. His head was down. Um, and I, right as I let go, he like, not a big step, but just, you know, brought that front shoulder a little bit and I smoked him and I just, <laughs> and I'm just like, Oh, that's, you know, you know, when you get that that feeling when you just oh, yeah. absolutely just drill a deer. Um, now it wasn't right behind the shoulder. Um, and I, but I felt it was not a gut shot either. I, was, I said to myself, I just double lunged him, right? I felt real good about, 
about it. 32 yards to this day is the longest shot I've ever taken in the timber. That, that is my longest deer kill, 32 yards. Um, and uh, he did the mule kick, and then he didn't run away. He just kind of walked away. So I pull the binos up, and I'm following him into the south part of this bedding area, and he disappears into the thicket. And I sat there for another 10, 15 minutes as it's starting to get closer to 5 o'clock. It's getting darker in the timber. Got all my stuff ready, got down, went back to the truck, went to get my uh, stepdad, uh, went to the house, got changed, got on different clothing, um, got my stepdad, headed back out there, went back to the tree stand, went to the area of impact. Now, remember, there, it had snowed since then, or not since the, the shot, but this that weekend has snowed. So I felt to myself, dude, I'm going to have an easy time following this deer. So we get to the point of impact, and there's no blood on the ground. And I, I knew I passed through this deer because I saw the fletchings disappear into him. Uh, I'm shooting 512 grains arrow, uh, 512 grain arrow. So I, like I said, not a problem. It's, it's a pass through. I, I thought it was dead broadside. And so I'm looking and I'm looking, I'm like, dude, there's no blood. So I follow this little trail that all the does kind of file, filed out and he filed out, um, and I'm still not seeing any blood. And then finally I see a little speck of a little speck of really dark blood. And then there's a little bit uh, um, bigger pile and then a, a little bit bigger of a pile. And um, still, but we couldn't see anything in there because it was so thick. Well, fast, you know, long story short, I take five more steps and there he is, dead, piled nice. up. And uh the shot, he it, he kind of came up a little bit, so he was more quartering towards than I thought. So I hit front side lung dead on and then backside liver. And I don't know if you've ever shot a deer in the liver, but they do not run after, especially if they're not spooked. Like I drilled uh, a deer in the liver, what, three years ago? And, and then I've also double-lunged deer before, and they run further on a double lung than they do with a liver shot. They mu it must hurt them so bad that they just don't like to move. So he, he was dead inside 20 yards, fell over dead. And, uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The, the rest, the rest is history, man. But, but I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing about this whole, and I know, I know we're probably going longer than your lunch break, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. but yep. I'll tell you, I'll tell you one thing. I had so much fun bow hunting this year where I, I kind of, the last three years, it, it had been a real, almost, I don't want to say easy, but not as hard of a time, like two, two days in kill, three days in kill, four days in kill. It took me 13 days this time to get the job done. And it made me really appreciate the grind and the routine and what I really liked about the whole thing was me being able to say my system, my system works for me. And I'm not saying that my system works for anybody else, but I grinded it out. I stuck with my plan. I made uh, adjustments accordingly. And that led me to harvest this beautiful animal. Now, when I shot him and walked up on him, I said to myself, oh, dude, I just shot a three-year-old. You know, that's not my goal, but he made me go, he made me go, uh, 
So yep. I shot him right now after yep. walking up to him and putting my hands on him, this buck had a lot of mass in his antlers, really good mass. And I, I noticed that his back hips were really sunken in and his face was sunken in and his, it just looked like someone deflated him. And I don't mean like me double, like hitting him in the lungs. I mean, like someone sucked mass out of him and he was really sunken in and it looked like, it, it it made me think that dude this is not a this is not a three-year-old deer i think it's a, a four-year-old who's really run down from the rut already or yep. he or he's sick something something's not right with him so when we gut him there was no fat on his body at all really it, it was gone wow. yeah there it, no fat and um so i i honestly think i killed a four-year-old buck uh, which is great. Um, he's got, you know, great antlers and the, the, just the, the process and the story leading up to the kill for, I always think that the kill is kind of the cherry on top, but it, the story yep. on how it all went down, um, how I took some time off to go be with the family, how, um, I just started cycling through my stands. I knew they were in the right spots. It was just a matter of time, played the wind, um, you know, did everything that I needed to do to get the job done and it paid off in the end. And I walked away from this, uh, this hunting season, not, or this, this bow season, not necessarily with, uh, the story about a hit lister, but the story of how it all worked out. And it, it's, it was a very satisfying uh, experience, man. And I'm, I'm jacked. Nice. I, I hear you. It's, uh, yeah, I, I hear you big time. Um, you know, one of the lessons I, I really took away from it was just running trail cameras and, and the history. There's a couple points. One was if you let, if you let pictures or lack of pictures, uh, create or take away the excitement of where you're hunting or what you're hunting, it can really, it can really, um, dictate your attitude towards a hunt. Yeah. And because of the last three years of leaving cameras up all year and knowing that there's just a giant influx of mature bucks and daylight activity, once you get more towards November 6th, 7th, 8th and beyond, um, that kept my hope sky high. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it made me not get trigger happy early uh, when I was in Nebraska, you know, October 26th through the 30th, you know. I just knew that I was out there and just going to be happy to um, observe the rut. One thing I told myself, because you can hunt for five, ten days in a row, and it can wear on you. And I just, rem- I just kept telling myself, if I'm not hunting, I'm at work thinking about hunting (laughs) so so i might as well just be happy that i'm here hunting even if i'm not seeing deer or i mean i got blanked on on plenty of sits i got blanked on plenty of of tree stand sits where it was the first and second time in and just did not have deer activity um and you just gotta be happy that you're you're able to get away and hunt and just keep that keep that positive momentum going because it's going to keep you hunting longer and harder and then um 
another thing I kept telling my wife, and I kept telling her, I was like, you just got to lie to yourself. And you got to lie to yourself and tell yourself that it, it can, it's not a lie, but for most of the part it is, but it can all change. All it takes is 20 seconds and your whole season can change. Yeah. And I was like, I know that I tell myself that probably once an hour, every hour until it happens. But, and so that's why I say I'm lying to myself all the time. Cause it's just not happening. The 20 seconds are just not showing up, but then it does. And it's just magic. And and sometimes you got to look at you, you got to look at the season not just as one, but as it's just one chapter out of say forty. And yeah, maybe you don't kill a deer this year. This is kind of a message I was having with my wife. But like, maybe you don't kill a deer this year, but you still have a good thirty or forty seasons ahead of you. And it, it all just becomes when you look back on time, it's all you're not going to remember the year that you didn't kill anything. You're going to remember the year you didn't kill anything leading up to the year that you did or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know what all that really means. Just there's a, there's a lot of emotion when you come off a, like you're saying, like a 13 days of hunting. I mean, there's a lot of highs and lows and yeah. frustrations and questioning yourself. And yeah. yeah, when it all comes together, it's just very special. Absolutely. And I think, you know, here it is the 18th of November, dude, I, I strongly feel that the rut is still happening out there. So if you are uh, still out there grinding, take a deep breath and go back to the beginning and get into a routine and locate the deer, look for the sign, move in. If they're not there, uh, locate the deer, find the sign, move in. If they're not there, you know, check the trail cameras. Or if you, if you run trail cameras, just continue to go through that cycle every time. And eventually I feel now you start covering everything and it's just, it's just a matter of time and make sure your access is right. Make sure you're in the right spot, not, close enough to the right spot but in the right spot and uh you know i feel like the more time you put in the better if you need a day off take a day off then get right back in it um there's still a lot of hunting season left and you know obviously i i I don't have a gun season like you guys do in michigan or some other states where there's a a gun season right in the middle of the rut Uh, i don't have that in iowa so I'm, i'm really lucky at that aspect but you know there's always late season still you know, yep. go back, identify. I know things change, but it's just a matter of identifying, being observant, moving in, you know, saying this is this spot is good or it's not good and then going from there. So um, good luck to everybody else that's out there uh, still grinding, man. There's still a lot of time left. And, uh, uh, dude, thanks for taking time out of your two hour lunch break to uh, <laughs> Yep. to uh, yep. hop on the phone with me and get this done, man. Really appreciate it. And, uh, congrats again, man. Yeah, absolutely. And just, uh, kind of touch on what Dan said. I mean, the last two weeks of November are, are still a very special time to be in the woods gun season or not. Uh, all your big bucks are at this point now looking to breed that, you know, third, fourth, fifth doe. They're just, they're going to be back on their feet searching and depending on, where you're hunting and depending on, you know, um, who you talk to sometimes a lot of people talk about the last two weeks in November. And that's really when the real big boys get moving the most during daylight. So they turn into the zombies. Yep. They just start walking. Yep, exactly. So that's my story of uh, this year's successful uh, buck hunt. I still got three doe uh, doe tags. I'm going to try to put some more meat in the freezer. And then from there, uh, 
you know, maybe put together a late season plan. Uh, huge shout out to everybody who took time to listen to this really long podcast. Really appreciate it. Bob, uh, good luck to you the rest of the, um, uh, you know, the rest of your uh, season there in Michigan. And uh, tell your wife, uh, there's always next year. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I think this might be the longest podcast that I've ever put out, but um, thank you if you're listening to this right now for sticking it out and listening to Bob's story, listening to my story. Uh, I think if you can break down the story, there's a really good message there that everybody uh, can learn from about being patient, being persistent, being observant, and uh and going out and having an absolute blast in the timber. But huge shout out to all of you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast, even though you, you probably had to listen to it uh, uh, in three increments, two increments, whatever. Huge shout out to all the partners of this podcast. And I don't emphasize this enough. They are what is making this happen. So a uh, huge shout out to Prime Archery, Vortex Optics, Lone Wolf Tree Stands, Ripcord, Wasp, Ozonics. These companies not only support this podcast financially, but they also support me in the tree stand. And they allow me, to, I mean, the equipment that these guys put out is badass, and I use it throughout the year. I abuse it throughout the year, and it allows me to get in close to these deer, hunt aggressively, and uh, and then when I do have the opportunity to draw back and pull the trigger, dude, I'm telling you, uh, it's always nice to have really high quality equipment, and uh, that is the partners of this podcast. Other than that, if you want to find out more information about uh, sporting uh, Sportsman's Nation, go to go to the website sportsmansnation.com. Check it out; tons of great content there. We have a YouTube channel, Sportsman's Nation YouTube channel. Uh, we can be downloaded at the iTunes, Podbean, several other places, Stitcher, you know, uh, wherever you download your podcast, you can find the Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation. We're hit, we're going on two hours here, so I'm just going to shut it down and say thank you very much uh, to everybody who supports this podcast and who supports the Sportsman's Nation. If you, if you know a friend that would like to hear this content please spread the word and uh, if you're going to be in a tree the rest of this rut man please grind hard and wear your damn safety harness